I'd like to take this time to welcome to our pulpit our preacher this morning, John Chrisman. John was here last summer to preach a couple times, and we're delighted to have him back again this week. John grew up in near, nearby Boyertown, son of the Shepherd of the Hills Church in Bechtelsville. After graduating Notre Dame and Duke Law School, he spent over 10 years practicing law, but he felt God's ministry on his life. Um, he's here with his wife, Allison, and their daughter, Abby. And uh, John, thank you for joining us this morning. Please um, share with us from God's Word. Thank you, Tim, and good morning, Lighty's Church. It's such a pleasure to be with you again this morning. Um, my wife, Allison, my daughter, Lizzie, and I are so glad to be here with you, worshiping our Lord together. We're going to be in first. We're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter two together. If you're not already there, as it was read, please turn there now. If you would join me for prayer together. O oh Lord, by the same Spirit that inspired these words through the Apostle Paul, would you illumine our hearts now this morning? Lord, we need your word. We can't live without it. Would your word do a work in our hearts this morning and every day you give us until you call us home or you return? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Nearly two years ago, I attended the final T4G Together for the Gospel conference in Louisville, Kentucky. One of the things that this conference was known for was books, lots of them. In fact, attendees were told to pack an extra suitcase for the books they would be bringing home. The conference gave away numerous books and they also set up the largest temporary Christian bookstore with thousands of highly discounted books for purchase. All the major Christian publishers were there, and all the books were on steep discount. This was an absolute feast for a pastor in training. I had my extra suitcase and a credit card as I stepped to the threshold of this pop-up bookstore. I entered the theological book smorgasbord and started making my way around the room biographies, books on preaching, commentaries, devotionals, kids' books, old books reprinted, the Puritans, the Reformers, new books from favorite contemporary pastors and preachers, and more. They had everything. I thought to myself, maybe I should have brought a second suitcase. But as I made my way all the way back to where I began, I circumvented the entire room. I was suddenly struck with this thought as I looked out over the room. Every book I want to read is probably in this room. But one of these tables is different than all the others. You see, there was a table that had Bibles. And on that table was the Word of God alone. Today's passage presses us with this question, what is this book and what will we do with it? How do you hear it? How do you receive it for what it is, for what it really is, for what it is not, for what you make of it, for what others make of it? I will argue this, the word of God is either received or rejected for what it is. And it always works. It works to change those who receive it, or it works to condemn those 
who reject it. We will look at this text in three parts. The Word of God, really. The Word of God, received. And the Word of God, rejected. The Word of God, really. Scripture really is the Word of God. Some quick background for you. This letter is from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. He visited Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. You could read of it in Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. In chapter 1 of this letter, Paul greets the Thessalonians and thanks God for their faith, their hope, and their love in Christ, which had become an example to other believers in the region. In the first 12 verses of chapter 2, Paul speaks to the character of his gospel preaching ministry within and among them. He then thanks God a second time in his letter, which is where our reading started in verse 13. Look with me again at verse 13. And we also, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. The Bible really is. The Word of God. As your statement of faith says, the Bible contained in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments is God's Word written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. How do we know it is the Word of God and not merely the Word of men? How you answer this question is, in fact, critical. The Bible is not the Word of God because I believe it is. We don't make it the word of God because of our thoughts or our attitudes or our feelings or our beliefs about it. Nor is the Bible the word of God because others said it or because the church said it or because some council many years ago said it or because it is a better book than other books. Churches, councils, confessions, they've all said these things, and indeed it is a better book, but they don't make it so. The Bible is the Word of God because that is what it really is. Scripture says it is the Word of God. Tim mentioned 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, and so it is. What I mean is this. The Bible is self-attesting. It's self-authenticating. It's self authorizing. We need not go beyond its words to establish it as the word of God because there is no higher authority than God telling us exactly and truly what this book is. So what are we going to do with it? Now to be sure the Bible has many internal and external marks and evidences further demonstrating its unique nature and proof of divinity. If you participate in the Case for Christ class, you'll read and encounter many of those evidences. But these marks are other additional evidence that as John Calvin said, the Bible breathes something divine. These evidences, however, do not stand in judgment over scripture to make it the word of God, nor can any person or group declare it so to make it so. So then how do we know it is God's word? Well, the Bible says it, and the Holy Spirit affirms and confirms this truth of what it really is in the sheep who know the shepherd's voice. Our full persuasion and assurance of Scripture's divine inspiration 
It's inerrancy. It's without error. It's infallibility. It's unable to err. It's necessity. We need it. It's sufficiency. We don't need anything else. It's clarity. We can understand it. And it's authority for all of life. It's from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. The scripture really is the word of God. And what joy and thanksgiving it brings when the Bible is heard and received for what it really is. The word of God alone. I'm reminded of video footage, perhaps you've seen it as well, from more than 10 years ago of the Kimyal people of Indonesia. The video displays the reaction of a people who had never before held the word of God translated in their own language. But now copies of the New Testament were being delivered and distributed to them. The word of God was being received with celebration, excitement, holy reverence, and tears of joy. Do we have that same kind of response when the scripture reader or the preacher says, turn in your Bibles? Or the same response when we scroll on our phones to read this book? For this book is unlike any other. It stands in a class unto itself. A table with it is different than any other book table. The Bible is the word of God. But this is actually not all Paul is saying here. Look with me again at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Paul has preaching in view here as well. Friends, faithful preaching of the Bible is also the word of God. Faithful preaching of this book is the word of God. Now this claim may jar you a bit when you hear it, but one Reformation-era confession puts it this way, quote, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is preached and received by the faithful, end quote. This book is the word of God, but so is faithful preaching of it. When this word is faithfully preached, it is the word of God. Not because the preacher makes it so any more than anyone else, but because God has sovereignly ordained this means for the effective delivery of his word to his people. It is a profound mystery to behold, but he takes certain men, though foolish, fallen, and frail, and through his spirit, he communicates his word as they faithfully preach. Look at the logic and movement in verse 13. From us, of God, in you. The word of God went from Paul and those who were with him into these Christians in Thessalonica. Verse 13 says, you heard from us the word of God which is at work in you believers. How the gospel of God was preached Look in the text of chapter 2 above the passage we read. Three times Paul refers to the gospel of God being preached. In chapter 2, verse 2, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. In verse 8, 
being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. And in verse 9, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Faithfully preaching the word of God is declaring, sharing, and proclaiming the word of God. There are so many words of men out there competing for our attention. American words of men, United Nations words of men, Republican words of men, Democratic words of men, Islamic words of men, Mormon words of men, sports talk radio words of men, celebrity words of men, magazine words of men, top 10 bestseller words of men, my truth words of men, your truth words of men. These words will burn up like the chaff they are. You should not come here on Sunday mornings expecting to hear the words of men alone. You should expect to hear the word of God, the scripture and the scripture faithfully preached. That word is on fire, set aflame by heaven itself. Do you come on Sundays with that expectation? Do you pray for the preaching of the word in that way? Do you lean into the sermon anticipating God to speak through his word, read and preached to you. As I was preparing this message on Tuesday morning with the falling snow, which was great, outside my window, I read these words of God from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. From this pulpit, the word of God goes out and it will not return empty or void. It will accomplish what God has purposed. And this takes us to our second point, the word of God received. The word of God changes those who receive it. Look again with me at verses 13 and 14. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Paul's word here in verse 13 for received is one that he typically uses throughout all of his letters. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 2 Thessalonians. He uses it in connection with the transmission of the gospel deposit. That faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, received, passed down, handed down. The Thessalonians received the word of God. They accepted the gospel of God. That's hospitality language, that they welcomed it with open arms. They treasured it. They embraced the call of verse 12 to enter God's kingdom and glory. The word of God was received as it really is. And Paul thanks God constantly because that word is at work in you who believe. This is not just good sermon pastor. The word of God works 
It produces something in believers like these Thessalonians. And this should make us ask an important question. Why? Why did these Thessalonians accept the word of God as it really is? And the simple answer is faith. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The miracle of faith opens one's eyes and heart to see the word of God as it really is. So did the word of God work to produce faith in the Thessalonians? Or did the word of God find those with faith and then start working in them? Answer, the word of God produces faith. Paul writes in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In similar fashion, Peter writes in his first epistle, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is how the apostles understood their preaching, that the word of God produced faith in those who heard it by the power of God. It was not the eloquence, the education, the efforts, or the personality of the preacher. This is why Paul is thanking God in our passage, constantly thanking God, because it was his spirit who used his word to regenerate hearts. This is also how the Thessalonian Christians understood Paul's preaching. He wrote in the first chapter of this letter in verse 5, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. I think these Thessalonians would join the disciples on the Emmaus Road when they said this, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And in response to this word of God preached, the Thessalonian Christians, we are told in chapter 1, verse 9, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God's word produces faith. The word of God also produces fruits of faith. This is precisely what happened to the Thessalonian Christians. The word of God does not stop working after it works through God's spirit to bring about faith. By God's spirit, it continues to work you chew the daily vitamin, it enters your system, and then it goes to work on you. Paul says the word of God is at work in you believers. This work is present tense. It's living and active. It's ongoing and enduring. It's constantly reforming, transforming, conforming, renewing, and restoring. And what work does it do? Paul says to the Thessalonian Christians in verse 14, for you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. He uses the same word in chapter 1 when he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The Thessalonians followed other Christians. They followed the Apostle Paul, and they followed our Lord. Paul commends them in chapter 1 for their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, their example is so noteworthy that they, in turn, as we read, became an example to all believers in the surrounding regions. 
the word of Lord sounded forth from them to others. And their faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. What an incredible testimony. Other churches were now looking to emulate them. What specifically about these Thessalonians was so striking? Joy, even in great suffering. They were an example to others because the Thessalonian Christians suffered for the sake of Christ, just like the Christians in Judea had. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. What kind of suffering did they face? Well, you can read a bit of this affliction in Acts 17. A swarming mob was formed. The city was put into an uproar. A Christian's house was attacked. Several Christians were dragged from their homes before governmental authorities. And they were coerced into making a financial payment before being released. Some of this mob even followed Paul to the next town over, Berea, and agitated and stirred up the crowds there. In the face of this opposition, this affliction, Paul preaches the word of God to the Thessalonians. It is received as the word of God by some of them, and in those Thessalonian Christians, it produces fruit. Thus the example of the Thessalonians ringing loudly throughout Christian churches is not merely the fact that they suffered. Look again at chapter 1 with me in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received, same word, the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They suffered, but they suffered with the spiritual fruit of joy. This is why the imitators became ones to imitate. The word of God is at work in them. And they did not let the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, other desires, or the enemy steal away their joy in Christ. Instead, as the parable of the sower tells us, they heard the word of God, they accepted it, and it bore fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is what happens when the word of God is received as it truly is. It changes people and it changes churches. All of this talk of imitation leads me to ask you just two simple questions as a church. First, who is this church imitating? And second, what would others imitate of you? What spiritual fruits of faith would other churches seek to emulate of this body? The word of God produces faith, and fruits of faith. But as we have already seen in Thessalonica and know from our own experience, not everyone receives God's word as it really is. Many reject it. So what happens when it is rejected? And this takes us to our third and final point. The word of God rejected. The word of God condemns those who reject it. Look again with me at verses 14 through 16. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, 
and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Paul is spitting fire in these verses. He is saying that God's opponents rejected the word of God in five ways. They killed Jesus. They killed the prophets. They drove out apostolic gospel preaching. They displeased God. And they oppose all mankind by hindering proclamation of the gospel. Wow. Did you hear that? God's opponents are enemies of everyone. All mankind, not just enemies of God, they're enemies of everyone. Now this should shed all new light on the real status of those in our world who reject the word of God as it really is. Whether they are oppressive regimes, governmental bureaucrats, educational elites, media pundits, scientific experts, cultural influencers, bosses, co-workers, neighbors, friends, family members, or false teachers. They don't love others. They oppose them. They hate them. They despise them. Why? By hindering gospel preaching. They are doing what they can to hinder the spread of the only message that will save sinners. The only way, the only truth, the only life, the only gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen to save and sanctify sinners like you and like me. Friends, there is a sense of horror and dread and terror at the end of this passage. Perhaps you felt it. The Apostle Paul is giving us a picture of sins welling up and spilling over in his opponents. He declares a wrath that has come and a coming wrath on these Jewish opponents of God. They are judged for their rejection of the word of God. Is Paul being overly dramatic? Is he being hyperbolic? Is he giving a stump speech? Is he being, as some have even claimed, anti-Semitic? No. Paul is not drawing ethnic lines here. Such lines have no part in the gospel of God that he preached to the Thessalonians or everyone else. Paul is drawing theological lines. A distinction between those who receive the gospel by faith for what the word really is and those who reject the gospel in sin and hinder its proclamation. For those who reject God's word and thrust it aside, God's word does not return void and empty. It simply brings about condemnation. For those who reject the word of God as it really is, reject the Jesus Christ of whom the scriptures are all about. And in rejecting the word of the Lord, they reject the Lord of the word. But for those who receive the word of God as it really is, I want us to see one more thing in these verses. And this last word is sobering because it communicates to us the cost of receiving the gospel of God for what it really is. Friends, where the word of God is rejected, those who receive it in those locations will indeed face opposition. Perhaps even very strong persecution, oppression, and suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
It was true for the Christians in Judea. It was true for the Christians in Thessalonica. As the recently published Open Doors World Watch List shows, it is true for many persecuted Christian brothers and sisters around the world today. It will be true for some of you. How will you respond to such opposition and affliction? Where will you stand? What will you do with this book in those moments? In saying this, I'm not trying to spread fear or peddle some kind of political action propaganda, not in the least. Nor am I trying to minimize or equate in any way the substantial and life-threatening persecution that saints are facing in many countries on this Lord's Day. Not at all. By God's grace, that severest of suffering has been withheld from many Christians, indeed most Christians in our country, and probably most of us in this room. But what I am saying is this. We should not be shocked or surprised when those who reject the word of God as it really is seek to suppress and silence those who receive it for what it really is. That is the stock and trade of God's opponents. Nor should we be surprised when those who reject the word of God seek to hinder gospel proclamation and the advancement of the kingdom of God. That is the stock and trade of God's opponents. Nor should we be surprised when those who reject the word of God seek to drive out the gospel from private conversations, from boardroom discussions, and public arenas. That is the stock and trade of God's opponents. But neither should we sulk in misery, hopelessness, and despair. For like the Thessalonians, we should count it all joy when we face afflictions and trials of many kinds. And we should pray the same for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. This is not something we can do ourselves. It must be the joy of the Holy Spirit at work in us as we receive the word of God as it really is. As Paul reminds us at the close of his letter to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And as we close our time together this week, I hope you have received this word as it really is, the word of God. As you receive it, I pray that this entire word, all the word of God for all of life, will be at work in you, converting you, changing you, convicting you, challenging you, comforting you, encouraging you, and building you up in Christ Jesus our Lord. The shouting mob of Thessalonica, which dragged Christians before governmental authorities in that town, said this of Paul and Silas, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Because of what it really is, this is what the word of God really does. It turns the world upside down by turning us right side up when we receive it as it really is. The word of God alone. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we come before you. We do thank you and praise you for your word. 
We pray that your word goes out here among us this morning and begins to work in our hearts even now to change us, to grow us, to help us to bear all the spiritual fruit, including the fruit of joy, even when we face opposition, conflict, or difficulty. Lord, work in us by your spirit through your word, we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.